pastor, and I have the opportunity to preach on our next passage in Ephesians this morning. So before we get into it, though, I really would like to start in prayer. So please join me. Dear God, Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you do for us. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come before you this morning and worship together as a church body. Lord, I pray that I get out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through me. Allow me to simply be a youth uh, or be a mouthpiece for you, Lord, that you can uh, deliver the sermon that you want the congregation to hear. Lord, give us a heart that's receptive to receive your word and challenge us this morning. Lord, search our hearts so we can better serve you. Help us understand this passage in a way that it points to you. In your name, amen. Well, back in September, we welcomed our new sixth graders into youth group. And uh, I don't know if that's going to be an issue with my beard. I was thinking about bringing trimmers and just trimming a little bit right there if need be. But <laughs> All right, so this past September, we, we welcomed our new sixth graders into youth group. And I usually start orientation night by telling them, hey, guys, you are no longer in children's church. You're now in junior high. So now you get to enjoy freedoms like a junior higher. You can sit where you want. You can play what games you would like to play. You can chug an enormous amount of Mountain Dew if you choose. <laughs> and you're even encouraged to take headshots and dodgeball. <laughs> so they like hearing these freedoms. They really do. But, you know, it never fails. I eventually have to remind a couple of them, guys, listen, you're a junior hire. So now it's time to act like one. Well, in chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul emphasizes and assures us that we're all children of God. We are now in a community where we're held to a different standard because now we know the difference from right and wrong because of scripture and the Holy Spirit that is living in us. And so as we come to chapter four, Paul is now saying, guys, listen, you're Christians. Now it's time to act like one. And then he spells out different ways throughout the rest of the book and how we become a Christian and how we look like one and the importance of who we're representing. Now, I don't know about you, but I love Chick-fil-A. Do we have any Chick-fil-A fans out there? Oh, yeah, all kinds of them. <laughs> all right, well, um, now I know I run the risk right now of getting us all thinking about chicken over the next 30 minutes, but it's only 10 o'clock, so I think it's okay. But my family and I, we love Chick-fil-A so much, we'll take special trips to Bangor simply to get our heavenly chicken fix. It's amazing. We love Chick-fil-A. But whether you like the food or not, one thing everyone notices and can probably agree on is that their service is different. They stand out. It's about welcoming others into their restaurant, and each employee has a job to do, and they do it with a smile on their face as they work together. It's their pleasure to serve. So Paul is addressing how we can work together as a church body with the same eternal mindset. And in doing so, we'll look like a well-oiled machine. Certainly not perfect, but unified. And we will stand out to the lost world in an attractive way. Well, for a little context, in our passage that we looked at last week, Paul talked about the unity of believers. The important things that unite us together, such as one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Are you getting the point? <laughs> Paul is emphasizing the importance of one and that all else out there would fall under false teaching. He also shared what marked us as believers, those traits that, 
that reveal a life that's being lived for God. He named off humility, gentleness, and patience. And those are all things that are becoming less and less in our culture. So that really stands out to a lost world. So today we're going to see that Paul focuses more on the maturing process that should take place in all believers. And when that happens, the body of Christ is able to run like a well-oiled machine. Now, up to this point, he's kind of talked about a general idea for the whole church. Now his aim is a little bit more directed towards each individual member that makes up the church body. The fact that each of us has a part to play in growing the church body. And this job is accomplished by the maturing of saints. Now, right out of the gate, I want to read you a quote from a a book I'm reading right now. It helps put us in the right perspective to understand this passage. The book is called Life Together, and it's by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, we are all members of a body, not only when we choose to be, but in our whole existence. Every member serves the whole body, either to its health or to its destruction. This is a spiritual reality, and the Christian community has often experienced its effects with disturbing clarity, sometimes destructively and sometimes fortunately. Allow that to sink in and resonate with you. And let me ask you, how is your life personally affecting the body of Christ? Well, let's dive into chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, in those verses we just read, Paul uses that phrase, therefore it says. He's referring to scripture, and in particular, a passage in Psalm 68. And this is shortly after a battle uh, where David writes a victory song as he praises God, and he celebrates with a victory parade going up Mount Zion. In fact, in that chapter in verse 18, he says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men. So Paul is applying this line to Christ in Ephesians, and he changes the line from receiving to giving. So now Christ is giving gifts to men. And this is because it was common in those days for kings to have a big parade after a victory. And they'd get their spoils, they'd bring them back, and they would show it off to their homeland. It was kind of like showing off the Lombardi trophy at a Super Bowl parade. They'd march down the streets, and the people would go wild, cheering on the king as they celebrated. Now, during the celebration, they also showed off the enemies who they had captured. But way more rewarding than that is that they they brought back their own soldiers who had been captured in battle, and they brought them back, and they were now released because of the victory. So basically, they were POWs. They were prisoners of war. Those who had been in bondage and were now set free. And so this was a huge celebration that the whole city would take part in. So Paul is using this passage to show a figurative victory parade as Jesus ascends to heaven and takes his rightly throne. And also that he would bring back his own people who had previously been in bondage and were now set free. Now this is all saints, all believers, past, present, and future, 
who were captives and now set free from Satan's grasp. We're no longer prisoners because of his victory. And this is the gift of salvation that we've all been offered, but not necessarily all have received. Now, Jesus came to earth to accomplish the mission. And Paul said he descended into the lower regions, the earth. Paul is referring to the incarnation of Christ. It's explaining his humiliation of coming down to earth as he set aside his certain attributes to submit to the Father's will. Then he went even further down to the point of death, and then, as we know, into the tomb. So Paul is showing that contrast between heaven and earth. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ emptied himself for us. He became that sacrificial lamb and died on the cross for you and I. But he arose from the grave and he ascended into heaven as a victorious king. First Peter says, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So this victory celebration is the gospel message as we are all reconciled back to our heavenly father. Now, there's probably a couple different groups in this room. Some may be in here saying, Gary, I've heard this a thousand times. This is Sunday school stuff. Well, you need to hear it again, and so do I. Because we need to revisit the fact that we all deserve and we're bound for an eternity in hell. There was nothing we could do about it. And Jesus descended to this lowly world to die for us. We owe everything to him. Now, there may be another group in here saying, Gary, this is the first time I've ever heard this in my life. And so I want to share with you the greatest news you will ever hear. The gift of salvation we're talking about is available for you as well. Jesus hung on the cross with you in mind. And he offers you this gift freely if you'll accept it and call on his name to be the savior of your life. Repent from the sins you've been living in and you'll be made new. In fact, You'll be a prisoner of war who is now set free and able to live for Jesus and spend an eternity with him. And this is why we're here on this earth, because not only did he set us free from our sin debt, he also gave us his inheritance and an opportunity to serve in his ministry to help bring other prisoners back to him. Now, a military victor in Bible times had the right to give gifts to those whom he chose. So with Christ's victory on the cross, he gives each one of us a gift of his grace according to his measure. You know, in our family, when we're heading out on a little day trip, whether it's up to Bangor or out to Camden or maybe even down to Portland, we oftentimes will pack lunches for our kids. We do that to save a little money, but also then it keeps the kids busy while they're eating on the ride. But when I'm pouring Cheez-Its into a bag, packing their lunches, I will pour more Cheez-Its into my older kids' bags and then less Cheez-Its into my younger kids' bags. So I divvy it out in the way I see fit. You see, each of us 
has been given a measure for a generous measure from God. He gave us the proper amount of our gift that he sees fit. Now, this is our saving grace, but also our spiritual gift. How cool is that, right? Each one of us has been given a gift specifically granted to us from what Christ wanted us to have. This shows a personal, unique touch for each one of us. It's almost like we're like snowflakes. Not like the snowflakes all over college campuses today, but a God-created snowflake that's uniquely and intricately fashioned for a reason. You know, one of my earliest memories as a child was when I was four years old. And my dad, he, he went on a trip to Chicago. And when he came back home, he had different gifts for each one of us kids. Now, I don't remember what he got for my siblings, but I do remember what he got me. It was a Chicago Bears jersey. And on the back, it was printed our last name, Willette. It was awesome. Now, he could have just got us all the same gifts, but it meant that much more that it was unique and had a personal touch. God gave each one of us a spiritual gift that's uniquely and personally for us. Now, we need to be careful here because oftentimes when we hear gift, we tend to think of natural ability. But there is a difference between our natural abilities and our spiritual gifts. For instance, when you were born into this world, you were given natural abilities, which are still from God. But this could be you're musically talented, could be you're extremely athletic, uh, maybe you're really flexible, you can do cartwheels and splits all day, or you're extremely intelligent, you have a high GPA and maybe your doctorate. When you were born again into the body of Christ, you were given at least one spiritual gift for the purpose of serving God and other Christians in a way that Christ is glorified and others are edified. Now, for example, this could be serving, teaching, comforting, encouraging, and on and on. And even though Paul doesn't list the grace gifts right here in this passage, he does tell us this in Romans 12. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So maybe you're sitting here thinking, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? Well, assessing and doing a survey really is a good way to find out what it is and how to use it. However, gifts can be broad. It's not a one-size-fits-all gift. So if you serve in youth ministry, it doesn't mean your gift can only be used in that capacity and nowhere else. In fact, we often see someone use their gift as like a ministry hybrid, where they serve effectively in different ministries. So gifts can be used in different ways and in different times throughout our life and in the church. I've heard before to not overthink it. Think about what it is that while serving in the church, you feel blessed by God, and that's probably your gift. You know, our gift, it shouldn't be like a little trophy that we set up on our shelf. It was given to us to bring glory to God and edify others in our church body. And our gift requires that we surrender to him so he can use our gift through us. First Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Well, before I started in ministry, God was calling me to teach teens. 
He clearly laid it on my heart to be a youth pastor. And I got to tell you, I came up with all kinds of excuses. (laughs) And I fought it for quite a few years. I didn't want to do it because it was a career change, number one. And secondly, I was afraid of public speaking. I've got to tell you, I'm not completely over that fear. (laughs) However, when I surrender my life and allow him to use my gift, then he gives me boldness to speak, and I don't worry about what men think. I focus on being that willing vessel for him. Well, it's kind of a chilly morning, and we've had some chilly mornings this past week. We were finally able to start the wood stove for the first time of the season. It's so nice and comfortable. I love the heat from a wood stove, and, and it's awesome. That oil is so expensively ridiculous, so it feels like you're saving money. But to start that fire, I took a little kindling, I took a log, and I got a match, and I got the fire going. But to get that puppy ripping, I got down on my knees, and I just, I blew right into the flame, and you could just watch it burn brighter and hotter. And fanning the flame of our spiritual gift is an important part of being a good steward with the gift he's given us. Now, Paul, he tells young Timothy that because of his faith in God, he's been given a spiritual gift. And Paul says, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. Now, oftentimes, fanning the flame of our spiritual gift requires going out of our comfort zone. And that's because our gifts get squashed when we fear men. Well, in the passage here, Paul is showing the church of Ephesus how to grow the body of Christ. And we need to understand that not all growth is good growth. Oftentimes, churches have an immense amount of growth in numbers, but are extremely shallow in their faith. And it's a lot like our bodies. If I don't run or exercise, I start getting these little love handles right here. I know I look skinny, but little love handles right here, right? So the scale is showing a growing number, even though it's not my targeted area that I want grown. I want those to go right there. But the same goes with the church. The focus must be on maturing believers to grow closer to God and in unity with each other, not just swelling the attendance and the offering plate. And numbers do not always reflect a healthy church. In fact, church growth is a sign of health, but it's not proof of health. And oftentimes when we hear grow in the church, because of the culture we live in, we tend to think of big performances, maybe really loud worship music and a dynamic speaker who's relevant and funny. But that's not what Paul tells us in this passage. So I want to take some time this morning to look at four things and how Jesus intended to grow the universal church, but also the local church body in a healthy manner. So number one, necessary for growth is gifted leadership. Verse 11 says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. So Jesus descended to earth to fulfill the mission and start the church. He then ascended and gave these gifts right here to the church. And one thing that ties all five of these gifts together is teaching. Now, from our study on Ephesians so far, we understand that the apostles and prophets are foundational gifts to the church. Paul said in 2.20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And we're to stay anchored to that foundation. Now, since the apostles documented their eyewitness accounts of what they saw and experienced, we're able to read about their acts and devotion to Christ. In fact, they were given to the church to help start it. And now we reflect on the way they handled certain aspects. 
But their role is now being used through the New Testament writings. And so even today, the apostles and prophets still have a profound impact on the church. Now, prophets, those were those who preached in association with the apostles. They prophesied coming events and, and also revealed the mystery of Christ so we can see scripture fulfilled and strengthen our faith. Like the apostles, the prophets had a foundational ministry in the early church, and their unique roles didn't extend beyond the apostolic age. So we believe that door has been shut. So an apostle or prophet can't show up today and claim new revelation and add to the word of God. However, there is a group that God gives to every generation in the form of evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Evangelists are simply those who have the gift of bringing others to Christ. We probably all think of Billy Graham or Luis Palau. Those are gifted men who make the gospel clear and simple to understand. And through the years, we've seen evangelists lead revolutions for God. Their preaching is usually extremely powerful. But did you know there are evangelists in every local church body? And they're extremely important to build on that foundation that was set by the apostles and prophets. And they do this by winning the lost to Christ, and then they encourage that person to get plugged into a local church body. Then we have shepherds and teachers. Paul says in Acts 20, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The job of a pastor is to teach the saints with the intent of maturing them spiritually, not just fill them with knowledge of the Bible, but to help his sheep have a personal thriving relationship with Jesus. And the pastor is accountable for what he teaches. He's held to a higher standard. Because the truth that he shares, but also that false teaching that can creep in if he's not careful. So a pastor must handle the word of God accurately as he helps the congregation understand the word of God in its context and its original meaning. So really, he needs to have a healthy relationship with Christ and put the time into studying and teaching what God wants the congregation to hear. So that's a tall task being a pastor. It's a, it requires a strong leader who's led by the Holy Spirit and willing to speak the truth. Now, the shepherd and teacher Paul's talking about here isn't only the senior pastor. He's talking about anyone who's gifted to teach. And this is what's so great about uh, the pulpit here being shared between our pastors and elders of our church. God has blessed faith with so many gifted leaders in every ministry we have. So gifted leadership plays an extremely important role in feeding and protecting the flock. And Paul wants the church to know that it's not the task of leaders to do all the work of ministry. Their task is to prepare God's people for the works of service. And when believers are equipped and they accept that mission, then the body is built up and flourishes. And this leads into our second point. Number two, means of growth is discipleship. Verse 12a says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So when the saints are equipped for service, discipleship happens. I remember when I played my first year of peewee football. I was down in Florida. I was in third grade. I was a tiny little squirt. (laughs) And they had us line up and they told us to head into a little small trailer. And in this little trailer, they would outfit us and equip us with everything we needed to play on that football field. 
They gave us a helmet. They gave us shoulder pads. They gave us the pants with pads, and then they sent us out the door. But they didn't just give us the equipment and leave us to figure it out on our own. They walked us through drills, practices, and games to teach us how to use the equipment and play the game of football. This is a picture of discipleship. As God gives the gift and the church body comes alongside to teach how to use it and give opportunities to strengthen it. This goes for each one of us. We are all gifted with the proper equipment to play our part in our church. And we're all responsible to help each other use the gifts for the good of our church body. Now, true discipleship is done on a personal level, and it's carried out between leaders and members alike. And we get to see this, how Jesus, he chose 12 men to disciple. And then they were expected to disciple others after he was gone. And, you know, discipleship doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional about it, right? It's not always easy. We have to be intentional about cultivating relationship with other Christians. And even though discipleship can happen anywhere, right here, this local church body, this setting, is the most natural place for them to develop. That's because in the church, we we meet together, we encourage each other, and we also protect each other against sin. Hebrews 10 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the whole body needs to be healthy and growing, not just certain ministries and aspects of the church. I don't know if you've ever seen that Skittles commercial, (laughs) but where the whole town arm wrestles to see who gets that last little lemon Skittle. Right? That's how they settle disputes. So they all have huge right arms and little twig left arms. Right? Paul's telling the church, without full unity and discipleship, the church becomes unbalanced and ineffective. The church is a family of believers who serve together and come alongside one another through the highs and lows. And as we grow closer to Christ, we show him to our community. It's a huge blessing to be a part of a church family. Number three, the true metric of growth is maturity. Verse 12b, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Well, I usually eat a pretty good breakfast in the morning. Every morning, I try to have a couple eggs, a toast, and sometimes a couple sausages. But right around noontime, I start getting hungry. I start slowing down. In fact, I tend to get hangry. (laughs) You guys remember that commercial, right? You're not yourself when you're hungry. Well, wait, eat a Snickers. I know I'm on a commercial kick this morning, but (laughs) but you know, there's some truth to that. We as a church body require being fed the word of God. And if it's only on Sunday morning, we are going to look more like our flesh than Christ when Monday morning rolls around. Now, we certainly should be fed corporately by our shepherd, but also personally on a daily basis as we each feed on Jesus's words throughout the week. And in the same way, a pastor is responsible for what how he teaches the flock. uh, We have a personal responsibility to be in God's word and stay fed. But instead, we should grow closer to Christ through our spiritual disciplines throughout the week. 
You know, we can't simply pass the blame on church leadership when things are falling apart in our own life. And this is the goal. We are to grow into mature believers who are led by the Holy Spirit while gaining knowledge and understanding of God's word. You know, Christ loves you enough to meet you where you're at, no matter how far from him you may be. But Christ also loves you enough to not let you stay where you're at. He has given you a shepherd and a church body to come alongside and help you mature and draw you closer to him. And a big part of maturity, Christian maturity, is recognizing when you're straying and recovering quickly. Now, the reason we're to grow up and mature isn't so we can be self-righteous and look down on others. It's so we don't get tossed around and uh, fooled by false teaching. And Jesus, he matured the disciples so they could stand strong in their faith after he was gone. Now, at the end of the verse we just read, it said, of human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That pretty much sums up our culture today, doesn't it? Twisting the truth is all around us as we're being taught that Love means being tolerant of everyone and everything, and you should allow others to make their own truth. But this isn't anything new. False doctrine was around even in Bibles in, uh, back in Jesus' day. The Pharisees were spreading false doctrine. In Mark 7, it says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandment of men. See, the Pharisees, they taught rules of men as doctrine by adding more to the word of God. And the result is in verse 13. It says, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And many such things you do. This goes back to the importance of a pastor handling the, handling the word of God accurately. Teaching it in a way that matures the saints. And a maturing Christian has a robust, full faith. That's exact opposite what the Pharisees were asking of the people, which was a shallow faith. So Paul is now telling the church of Ephesus to mature so they don't fall for different tactics, whether it's taking away scripture or adding to it. And Paul, he says, an immature believer gets carried and tossed like a ship by every sea or by every wave as a sea that's, that comes along. I don't know if I said that correctly, but so that ship that's getting tossed from wave to wave. And I love how Paul just uses these practical, simple illustrations, right? If you've ever been on a boat, you can picture what he's talking about, how that boat gets tossed from wave to wave. And as a Christian, sometimes that wave is an expo emotional experience. Sometimes it's a smooth talker who pulls us away from the gospel. Oftentimes it's kind of slightly different and a bit more exciting to cause somebody to change their view. When I take my kids to the ice cream store, uh, of course, they have way too many things on the menu to choose from to begin with, right? So the kids are like, oh, no, what am I going to get? Well, they'll finally choose one, and then in the next moment, they'll change their mind and want the other one. Well, we finally come to a decision. We all order our ice cream. We sit down and start eating. And then my youngest, she'll look over and see the cotton candy, and she wants that one. That's the one she wants. This is the way an immature believer is. They're unstable. They're gullible. They're influenced by the latest thing. And it's often motivated by a grass is greener and more exciting on the other side, only to find out that grass is spray painted, and then it leaves you feeling empty. A mature Christian doesn't waver or fall for false doctrine, no matter how enticing it may be. Well, we've been looking for a family vehicle lately. We looked on 
marketplace. We've looked on Craigslist, small dealerships, um, Uncle Henry's, you name it, we've been looking there. Uh, and we saw some that looked great in pictures. In fact, we traveled all the way down to Gorham thinking we found the right one. We got out, we saw the vehicle, and it looked great from afar. But once you got up closer to that vehicle and looked up underneath, there was rust all over the place. So we were left with a, we were disappointed and we had a false hope. In fact, we were easily convinced without having solid facts or truth about the vehicle. Now, maybe that's been your experience with searching for truth. Maybe you've tried different things the world has to offer, and they sound great at first, but in the end, it's just a false hope. Well, I can tell you, there is a hope that will not let you down, and that is that one hope that he was talking about that unites all believers together. And a mature believer stays anchored to that hope. Now, number four, our last point, and I'm going to take a drink. Sorry, my messages aren't this long in youth group, so I need a little drink of water. <clears throat> Byproduct of mature growth, Christ is magnified. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Truth and love must be blended together. You know, this is oftentimes little kids have trouble doing this. They're either brutally honest or they're so loving they sugarcoat it and they leave out the truth. We must show love while speaking truth. Telling a child they can choose their gender is not showing them love or speaking truth. And I think that's an easier one for us. But then telling an unbeliever they're, they're a sinner and they must change without showing them love is just truth without love. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So a mature believer is guided by the Holy Spirit to speak truth in love. Paul uses this body uh, for an analogy of the church. He says, held together by what every joint supplies. Now, joints are used to connect bone to bone, right? They protect our structural part of our body. Now, did you know, because I didn't, I had to look it up, there are 360 joints in our body, and every single one is extremely important to keeping bone structure working smoothly. Paul's analogy right here of the properly working body couldn't be any clearer. We all have an important part to play with our gift in our church body. And without the joints working together, there's potential for danger and breakdown. It's amazing what a human body can do. If you've ever seen a gymnast or, or an athlete perform, it's amazing. However, it's shocking how the slightest injury can limit them. In fact, even a toe injury, they can't perform the way they're supposed to. Joints provide protection, unity, and cohesiveness to the body. Now, Paul, he said it's into Christ as the head that the body grows up. We've all seen babies' heads that are way too big for their bodies, right? <laughs> Super cute. I love when they have a big head. In fact, a baby cannot reach over his head and touch his ear on the other side because his head is too big and the body hasn't grown up into it yet. Well, as the baby develops, the body grows up into proportion with the head. 
Now, Paul, he may not have had this picture in mind, but it really does clearly show the point he's making. As the church body matures, they begin looking and acting more like Christ. They bring glory and honor to him and create a passion for him. Can you imagine the impact we could have on our community if the church lived together with hope and unity and looked like Christ? Now, I think here of faith, many of the joints are using what God has given us and being faithful with it. However, there are still spectators where some people come in, get their teaching for the weekend, and escape quickly. And they're not being faithful with the spiritual gift God has given them and entrusted to them. You may say, Gary, well, I'm an introvert. Uh, Spiritual gifts are for the out front and outspoken. But that's not the case at all. If you're an introvert or you view yourself that way, God has still given you a spiritual gift to use here in our church. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy who's going to do everything he can to keep you from serving in our church. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here of faith, we have everything we need to serve him as a well-oiled machine that will stand out to a lost world. And we need to celebrate his victory for setting us free. And serve with gladness as we look ahead with that hope that he's given us. But also enjoy the blessings of church community and service right now. You know, being part of a church and serving isn't just for the good of the body. It's what fulfills us, gives us purpose, and brings us joy. We've probably all heard that story in Luke where Jesus has healed ten lepers. And uh, after he heals them, only one returned to thank him. Now, Jesus descended to earth to save us from our sins. And now he's ascended and he has given us a gift and a mission here on earth. How many of us are like the lepers who were healed and yet didn't come back to thank him? Instead, we carry on in our own lives. We may show up to church, but we don't serve in his church. Using our gift is a way we show our appreciation and reliance on him for what he's done for us. And we are a generation that's building up the body of Christ until he returns. Worship team, if you could, please make your way on down. I want to ask you this morning, as a joint in the body of Christ, are you doing your part? Are you being faithful with the gift of grace he has entrusted to you and working together in our church body? God wants to bless us with love and joy as we use our gift for him. And the church body right here at Faith, we need you. We need you to help serve and, and make our body complete. If you could, please stand with me. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, Lord, thank you for the reminder you've given us this morning in this passage. Lord, that not only did you save us, but you still have a mission for us to be a part of today. Lord, you've given us a church family to grow with and serve with. God, help us to mature together as saints who live on point for you and share the good news with the community around us. Lord, thank you for your unfailing love. And God, the Holy Spirit that guides our lives. I ask you to bless the church family here at Faith as we do your will and bring us back safely next Sunday. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen.